0: Artificial intelligence and digitization being leveraged to realize huge cost savings for growing wind turbine fleets. In this Greenlight episode, I will speak with Danielle Merrifield, VP and CTO of GE Renewable Energy, about this, how she went from winning science fairs across the country as a child with Air Force parents to receiving her Ph.D. in electrical engineering and ultimately taking the helm for technology at GE Renewable Energy. We will also speak about how Danielle's most instrumental mentors did not have technical backgrounds, as well as what it takes to effectively drive technology across a wide range of renewable energy business units within a Fortune 500 company. Thanks for tuning into The Greenlight. Now let's dive in. I'm Catherine McLean. Founder and CEO of Dylan Green, and today I have with me Danielle Merfield. She's the CTO at GE Renewable Energy. Welcome, Danielle. Thanks. Great to be here. Danielle is joining us from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I just wanted to say for those that don't know, you were the Cleaning Woman of the Year Award winner. You were recognized in the top five of the North American Power List, and you are currently mentioned the CTO at GE Renewable Energy. Can you tell us a bit about GE Renewable Energy and the work it handles? Sort of, I know that you all do a lot around wind and hydro. What need are they currently serving? So a lot of people do know a lot about GE because we're such a
1: big brand and we've been in the energy space for a long time. But our um, portfolio is pretty broad. So we've been in the renewable energy arena for more than 100 years because of mm-hmm. hydro and long history there. Yeah. Um, and we, we serve utilities, um, system operators, independent power producers, um, commercial customers in like 80 countries. So we're mm-hmm. a pretty global network of, provi- you know, we provide sales of product and services around the world. So Hydro, I mentioned, mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned Onshore Wind. A lot of people mm-hmm. do know us because especially in the U.S., we have a big share of the Onshore Wind activity in that segment. And we have like 90 gigawatts of installed base. And we have some pretty cool products in that space. So people know mm-hmm. us there. We also have a... Blade business, we manufacture and sell wind blades, not even just to GE, but to our competitors as well, onshore and Mm -hmm. offshore. So we make one out of every five turbines uses GE's LM wind blades. We also have an offshore wind business, which is newer than our onshore wind business. Um, And we introduced the world's first 14 megawatt turbine, which is amazing engineering feat, taller than the Statue of Liberty. Every one rotation of a blade powers two homes in the UK. Mm -hmm. So it's really awesome engineering feat. We have a hybrids business, which combines solar and energy storage. So we make solar inverters there. But then we also have a collection of grid businesses that is in mm-hmm. our renewable energy business. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't realize how integrated the needs are and the challenges are between renewable energy generation and grid operation. The resilience right. of the grid and renewables are tightly, tightly connected. So in our grid businesses, we sell HVDC, fax, AC systems, high voltage, We also have a grid automation business that sells substation automation and protection. And we have high voltage systems like transformers and statcoms. And then we have a whole bunch of services business that keep all those fleets running, all the energy flowing smoothly around the world. So it's a pretty broad portfolio, very exciting stuff. And, you know, technology abounds.
0: Yeah. How are you all leveraging AI to enable renewable energy to proliferate? And what is the one digitalization initiative at GE that excites you the most? Yeah, so AI is an
1: interesting topic of conversation, and a lot of companies talk about it. And and I think we talk about it sometimes. AI just means machine learning to some degree in in some applications. But where I see us using AI in a cool area, I mean, there's some interesting new spaces like for advanced load controls for wind turbines, where we actively manage the behavior of the system to reduce both fatigue and extreme loads on the wind turbine. We're also using it when we manufacture blades when mm-hmm. we do the inspection because one little wrinkle in the carbon protrusion, for example, can mm-hmm. create a 50 times less strength in that part right. of the blade. So it really matters that we do a good inspection. But maybe if you asked about what's the um, one that is most exciting, mm-hmm. probably the biggest thing that is on my mind thinking about our fleet as we start making more and more wind turbines, the whole industry is growing exponentially Mm -hmm. is that's a lot of wind farms that are coming out to manage Mm -hmm. and the wind farm maintenance. It's a lot cheaper to do maintenance on a blade than to replace a blade. I mean, it's goes from like $300,000 to replace a blade to 20 to $50,000 to go and do a big maintenance job on a blade. So the economic benefits of being able to assess whether or not a blade needs to be maintained and then go out and do it before there's a need to replace it are huge. So we have a whole program that uses AI to take thermographic videos of the blades while they're running. Like these are not standing Mm -hmm. still. And then go from these video images frame by frame and train a system to really pull out what are the right snapshots. So now we have from 3000 frames into 150 images that are more valuable. And then we can deploy our AI on what's the known defects and where are they? And if we need to have a human inspect it, what's next? Or even better, a robot inspection. So we're just taking this really big data set down to something small and then we're integrating it into our models to say, is that a problem or not? And that's probably the one that's going to make the biggest difference for our customers Mm -hmm. in the field Mm -hmm. is being able to do all this quickly and be good at it, not just Mm -hmm. have human error or whether someone's trained well enough. Um, But then I won't go into a long story about it, but I can't comment on digitization without talking about the grid and saying, the grid is being revolutionized and how Mm -hmm. we use digital technologies to make that safer and more resilient and more interconnected. It's absolutely the story
0: of the grid. So I wouldn't Mm -hmm. want to go past past Mm -hmm. this question without commenting on the grid a little bit. And I was based in the UK, I was always hearing from GE, like predictive analytics. was like a big kind Mm -hmm. of thing. Can you, can you mention that at all?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's a little bit of what I was describing in terms of, I mean, right. what I described was about how do you do inspection, but yeah. predictive analytics isn't too different. But instead of looking for cracks, you're listening for harmonics or you're yeah. looking at data and ultimately everything that could go wrong, there's clues. Right. And maybe the clues aren't in, it's a rattling noise pe- or there's a scratch. Too. <laughs> yeah, people, exactly. So we're, it's, so all of this use of digital tools or AI are yeah. to pick up on those clues. And sometimes they're like in a human, when we're communicating, we have some subconscious things that we do, little things that you might not notice or they might not pick up unless you're trained to look for the tells. Yeah. We're just looking for the tells and finding yeah. them and then being able to see them more clearly and look only for them. That's a really great thing that I think predictive analytics is spreading across all industries, but the industrial spaces like renewable generation where you're just growing your fleet so fast, you can't afford not to do that.
0: What would you say some of the challenges are that the U.S. renewable energy industry is facing? So do you think it's more policy-driven, technology-driven, otherwise-
1: Yeah, two months ago, I would have said (laughs) absolutely the most basic need is policy (laughs) consistency. Right. And we have had such inconsistent policy in the U.S. around wind specifically with the PTC Mm -hmm. cycling up and down. And Mm -hmm. the problem with that is that it makes it really impossible to build a secure supply chain. So all the small companies that feed the bigger companies that feed the bigger companies that feed us, our major components, they all depend on having uniformity of demand. We need more. You know, if it's growing, we want it to grow every year. We don't want it to cycle up and then break, you yeah. know, to zero for a year or two. And so, given the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act, we expect that the market demand is going to be very uniform and growing, as it should. And frankly, it helps us all because that will help us really drive more of a growth pattern that fits the ability to resolve climate issues and reach our goals right. from an emissions right. perspective. So this is all in the same, it's all aligned with what we're trying to do from a goals yeah. perspective. But even with this market demand, the uniformity of demand coming, mm. we still need permitting and regulatory reform because that's all part of the timing. We need the government support to make sure that people aren't waiting in interconnection queues for years and then possibly many of them to see which one is the project that's going to go first. Yeah. Um, so all those things are important. Um, and, and again, I'm going to skip over to the grid because I, you can't talk about renewables without talking about the grid. If I were to say the biggest technical challenge, because you, know, you commented a little bit about policy or technology, the biggest technical challenge is all about, can the grid do these transformations all at the same time that it needs to do to be able to accept all of this renewable energy that's going to be put onto the grid. Because right. it will limit how much we can put on the grid if we don't do it right. And the three transformations of the grid are it's being transformed by the physics. So mm-hmm. we're moving from synchronous generators to these uh, power electronics things that are plugging into the grid, wind and solar inverters right. and converters. The operations is changing. So now it's operating differently. They're more discrete, smaller sites that are spread farther apart. They need to talk to each other differently. We're even having, you know, new loads that move around like electric vehicles. So the grid is operating totally differently than it did before. And we're going to need to transform the economics because fuel is now free and how you pay for things and whether the market rewards the right behaviors and the right conditions. The grid has never had to go through even more than one transition at a time. Usually it has a decade or two to do it and they're in series. We're doing three, has to be done within the decade and they're all happening at the same time. So it's, it's not just like jumping out of the plane and building the parachute you're actually inventing the sewing machine then you're going to sew the parachute then you're going to make it put it on yeah and you've already jumped out of the plane so this is a tough challenge biggest challenge by far I would say
0: yeah that's a great analogy so you've been at GE since 2007 and have risen to become GE Renewable Energy CTO. First, I have to say that statistically speaking, (laughs) this is becoming more uncommon for any professional to stay at a company for such a long period of time. So it says obviously a lot about GE as a company. Um, But secondly, I'm curious to know how your leadership style has changed over the years. Can you share any insights on the keys to effective leadership, particularly in a growing and constantly changing environment.
1: Sure, and so I will say one thing. Um, I have been at GE since 1999, but 2007 is when I got into energy and I never looked back. I mean, I was working in a lot of different (laughs) spaces with GE. So it's an even better question now because like how could I have been at a place for 23 years and be so young <laughs> oh thank you i was pretty aged after my phd though i was coming out ripe but i think part of it has to do and and many of my colleagues who also work at big global companies feel the same way mm-hmm. ge provides a lot of variety of opportunities to try new things you know you can never really get bored and you feel like you've never done it all you've never come yeah. so close but remember also the industries that we're in that ge is in and that you know just the energy enterprise overall it's completely changing. Every decade yeah. is a new world and new geographies open up, new challenges in that industry. So there's been constant change around me. I don't know that I've, even when I've been in the same role, the job's never been the same year over right. year. So I've felt that it stayed pretty exciting. And I will also admit, and I say this openly within GE a lot, is I have thought about leaving a lot of times, but every time I did, the opportunity I had in GE was just better. So I just chose to stay. So it's not like I just stuck around out of lack of inertia. It was a continual decision and a continual recommitment to find the thing that I want to do the most. And it just happened to be in GE. And mm-hmm. for me, the core of that was, it's just the world stage, being able to do something important and then be able to do something important that can impact so many people. Right. That's what does it for me, that magnifying my impact. You asked about what my leadership style has changed. If I were to pick one thing, it would be letting go of, control a little bit more and engaging (laughs) and learning and listening. I'm way more effective when I have a team that trusts each other and that I can trust them and we genuinely like each other and we just kind of lean into each other's strengths. You don't have to be as a leader. I want to be well-rounded, but I don't need to be the expert in everything that my team is doing. And my personal style has kind of become that as my mission is create the team success and I will look good and I won't worry about it. And I'd never yeah. really have. So it's yeah. really important to, especially when we have these huge challenges that we have in energy, is building partnerships and teams who listen to each other and have different points of view, managing that risk. We're not gonna, we're not, and having partners outside of GE, customers, academia, national labs, suppliers. I mean, that's really how you win is you build that trust circle as big as possible and invite more people in and then you can go a lot farther.
0: Yeah. I really appreciate what you said, that transparency around not just having your head down and doing GE year after year after year, but actually making a decision to look outside the space and GE being the better option for you. I think that's important for people who've been at companies a long time to take that on board, that it is important to keep looking at what's going on outside the space to make sure that what you are doing is the best thing for you. And that may be Mm -hmm. staying put it's important to to also realize there's other opportunities out there as well. And that's okay to kind of explore them. I think it's a good point. I know that you have a bachelor's degree and a PhD in electrical engineering. Did you always want to work in renewable energy in particular? And how did you make your way into this industry? What advice do you have for others looking to go into your footsteps? I knew that you've mentioned previously that you're a big proponent of mentorship. So if you could also comment on GE's Women's Network as well, please.
1: So I didn't really know what renewable energy was Mm -hmm. when I first started off in school. My interest in this really just came from being interested in lasers and being interested because of science fairs, getting a chance to go into that space. My background is not in engineering. I don't have family members that are technologists. Mm -hmm. I was the Air Force brat, moved around Mm -hmm. the country growing up. And the one common thread was science fairs. Mm -hmm. So just got lucky, as I mentioned, in high school. And I got to have an internship at a research center that worked on lasers. So Mm -hmm. I just started picking things that were interesting and lasers were interesting. I think that's a pretty good philosophy for anyone moving forward is if you pick things to work on that you're interested in, you're more likely gonna do well in it because you're paying attention, you're reading a little extra, you're Mm -hmm. more passionate about it. So Mm -hmm. I luckily got into a really great zone and went to undergrad and then graduate school in the electrical engineering space, always finding something that was appealing to me. And actually that's what brought me to GE they happened to need researchers at their uh, research campus in upstate New York, this historic research campus that I knew nothing about when I interviewed, that Mm -hmm. I even, I was sort of taking the GE interview as a practice interview, because why wouldn't you want to get practice with such a well-known brand? Right. When I went there, it was like, I realized I was like a kid in a candy shop with a sweet tooth. They had all different types of technologies. I didn't have to pick one. I could be that sort of follow my passion person that I was. And I first started there really to help revolutionize lighting by helping the world move from incandescent bulbs, which GE was very well known for, to (laughs) solid state lighting, LEDs. And if you're going to revolutionize lighting, why not go to the place that was sort of the birthplace of bringing (laughs) lighting to the masses? And it was only like five or six years after that, that I had the opportunity to move into the solar world, which is just an LED run in reverse. And then since then, I've always had at least a toe, if not my whole body in the water on renewable energy first with solar and then with wind and then much more broad across the whole portfolio um yeah
0: see I really like that story because I think there's so much pressure on people who are graduating these days to like figure out what it is that they want to be and do and I just think like you have to sometimes just kind of go with the way, the journey, like go with the flow of like, what's totally the direction that you're being sort of taken in the current, if you like. And Mm so I think that's a prime example that you were open enough to look at an organization and have them almost guide you a little bit as well as you following things that you're passionate about that led you to where you were. It wasn't so prescriptive.
1: Yeah. And I'll add to that. You make. I'm glad you called that out because so many times when I am talking to young people who are thinking about what to start with or even people mid-career who are trying to de- decide mm-hmm. if they're going to make a move, so much of what might hold them back is this perceived notion that they already invested something in one area and therefore <laughs> they must stay in that. When in reality, you become better by having a diverse set of experiences. So if you're not moving around, if you're not trying things that are ancillary to your main path, you're probably not building a broader set of skills that are going to be worthwhile, skills that you'll need later. Especially young people who feel like they need to know what they want to do, even if they did the world around them is changing so fast. Yeah. <laughs> what what the world needs you to do is going to be different. So I right. try to tell people not to try to predict where they're going to be in five or 10 years, yeah. but just to say, what do I want to do now? And yeah. then next week you can say, what do I want to do now? And hopefully right. it doesn't change week by week, but year by year, it should change.
0: Yeah. You know, it's, exactly. it's normal.
1: So you asked about mentoring. And one yes. thing I will say is <laughs> I have been mentored and I have been a mentor to a lot of people and not just in GE, but that's a great, network source when you work in the same company and it's so big, but there are organizations like NGE, we have the women's network where it's great because you can connect with people that have something in common with you. We're all women. Many of us work with mostly men. It doesn't have to just be about that. I know I probably leaned into the women's network and got a lot more support at times in my life, like when I just had twins or, you know, when (laughs) I was going through these periods in my life where I needed colleagues that knew of what i was going through but also were working in ge or who were working tough jobs or had to decide if they were going to travel but the day-to-day stuff mostly it's just about having a network that you can call on when you have a big decision or knowing you can get experience leading something or trying out some activity in a low risk environment where you're you're supporting in a leadership role something for the network and not changing your job to try out something new but it's been really great there are organizations like this across lots of companies and i highly recommend anybody who isn't already part of some employee advocacy group just to dip their toe in the water because it's a really great way to meet
0: people as well as give back to your community okay so just the final question i have for you is about your upbringing you touched on it a little bit earlier but what was your upbringing like and did you have any mentors in your life who encouraged you to pursue a career in stem so we may be i feel like yeah. this question you might have already sort of answered Some of it, but
1: there's Mm -hmm. anything else
0: that you want to talk about with that?
1: Certainly, growing up, science fairs were a big part of it. As I mentioned, that made me feel accomplished, even though I was a fifth or a sixth grader, or even a high schooler, halfway knowing what I was doing and always feeling a little bit inadequate. I realized later every high schooler feels that way. Um, But the mentors in my life were not even all technical themselves. There were people who just kind of gave me confidence or helped me believe I could do something that they never did or that I never did before. I mean, Especially for young women in technology, it's too easy to presume other people know it more, or you know, you're the only one who doesn't have it figured out. Most of the people as I look back that really shaped or impacted me or my professional careers were not people in my profession and weren't people who would have guided me technically. They were just yeah. people who made me feel strong or good at what I did or capable. You know, I was a really nervous public speaker when I first got to GE. And then I was in a role that they just needed me to talk a lot about what we were doing (laughs) and I had to do it. So one of my mentors just said for a whole year, just say, yes, you're going to get asked to do a lot of things and you just have to say yes. And I was like, this is crazy, but I did it. And then I realized I hated it at first, but I got better. And now I do a lot more of it and I don't hate it anymore. So, I mean, those are the people that influenced me the most. I think that is really important to have role models and to show for example, I try to be a role model to young women about how fun it can be to be in STEM. And it's not just like you're fighting the battle and you're showing that women can do it. You're getting to reap the benefits of good, high-paying, fun, yep. diverse activity that matters to the world. And what yep. drives different people into this field is different. So I people that resonate with me, I can help coach and guide and a lot of different people are out there. So we need all different
0: types of mentors and coaches and guides. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time, Danielle. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Catherine. it's been fun. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Greenlight Podcast. Are you looking for your next role in climate tech? Join the latest growing network of clean tech professionals and be the first to know about what industry leading clean tech companies first post new job openings from development to finance to marketing by checking out our website dylan-green.com latest hyphen jobs dylan green is transforming business through talent you can also find us on youtube where we engage with today's top clean energy leaders